if you understand the, the musical language and you have the confidence and the integrity to present something completely brand new, even though it's old music, I think you can, you know, pull it off. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 158 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Today's special guest on the podcast is Peter Siglaris. It's actually his second time back on the show. We discuss his latest album, which features rediscovered music by British composers, what it was like realizing these pieces, some of them for the very first time since the composer was alive, or even maybe for the very first time ever. We also talk about finding balance as a performer to make sure your performances are creative, yet true to their roots and style at the same time, and what it's been like for Peter as a music freelancer during the ongoing pandemic situation in London. Patreon supporters get access to an ad-free extended version of today's episode and will learn more about Peter's favorite clarinet accessories, hobbies, and books, and some bizarre performance experiences that he has had that you would never guess. You can become a Patreon supporter of the Clarinet Podcast and still listen on your favorite podcasting app. Learn more at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Just a quick note before we get started today, I might sound different than usual. I'm struggling to record this intro because just yesterday I actually got uh, an orthodontic treatment put in called Invisalign. So I'm actually looking for a guest to talk to about, you know, what it's like as a clarinetist getting Invisalign treatment and sort of having your teeth move around. But for the short term, I sound a bit weird and it's it's bothering me. I hope it doesn't bother you too much. And uh, I'm told by my dentist that it should go away in a few days. But uh, my voice definitely feels different, maybe if it doesn't sound a whole lot different. But if you do have a suggestion, as far as a guest, Ron Odrich does come to mind, um, but I'm sure there are also other people I would be uh, interested to talk to about this. Please do send me a message using the contact form at clarineat.com. I'd like to give a huge shout out to all 73 Patreon backers for making the show possible and our season sponsors, Leger Reads and Bakun Musical Services. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Leger Reads, the world's leading synthetic reed brand made right here in Canada. The European cut reed is preferred by Leger artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Carano Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Leger.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. You can take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. As a special thank you for listening to the podcast, you can save 10% on your accessory, clarinet, or any purchase now at bakunmusical.com. And you might want to note if you're listening to this episode in the month of May 2021 that Clarinet listeners can get an extra 10% off sale items using the code CLARINET and 10% off all items all the time with code CLARINET. Just use the coupon code at bakunmusical.com at checkout. That's code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com. I'm here today with Peter Siglaris, who's coming to the show from London. Thank you so much for coming on, Peter. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. And I should say welcome back to the show because uh, you were one of the guests, I believe, in the first season close to five years ago now, which is just so crazy to think about. So uh, if you haven't had the chance to head back and listen to Peter's original episode on the show, you should do that. And that was actually an episode about another CD project that featured British music, which we're going to be talking about his latest today. So, Peter, if you wouldn't mind, just for those listeners who may not have heard your first episode yet, would you just give a quick, brief introduction for the audience and then give me a little bit of an update? What's been going on the last five years? I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a while. Gosh, I live in London. I, I'm based in London. 
Um, I'm a professional clarinet player, of course. Um, and I do a sort of mixed bag of things, really. You know, solo projects, recitals, concertos, obviously, with the new CD. And uh, a bit of freelancing uh, with various orchestras when we could all do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that something we all miss right now? Um, this CD project, I first received the CD here today. Um, or sorry, not today, but I was listening to it again today and, and reading the liner notes. And I was going to ask you what it was like recording during COVID, but then I noticed that this was actually recorded just before COVID. So um, we'll dive into maybe what that was all like. But uh, what have you been up to the last five years other than this CD project and, and you know, playing around? Have you, have you done anything else interesting? Any travel? I remember you used to play in, was it Mumbai you used to play in? Yeah, the last time I did that was probably, that was 2015. And yeah, I mean, there's been a few little things here and there, a few uh, things in Europe. Um, I mean, really, actually, I suppose the main thing the last sort of five years is has, has been discovering a lot of this British music um, that's been uh, written for the clarinet by both male and female composers. Well, let's dive into the CD project then a little bit. So you mentioned that some of the time you spent discovering this new music. So what does that discovery process look like for you? And do you have something in mind you're going looking for or you just sort of come across the pieces or how does that work? Really, the, the journey all started because of, of um, the curiosity with these, the manuscript for the Stanford Concerto, which um, I suppose has been considered by many as like the first sort of proper British clarinet concerto, if you like. Um, I had a vague, uh, a vague uh, idea of where where it was. I think there were at least two or three manuscripts, uh, full manuscripts, handwritten, um, lying around. Um, and one was situated at the Royal Academy of Music. And so um, I went onto the archive there, onto the, the online catalogue to have a look. And a few entries below that was a, a clarinet concerto by a Victorian composer called Ebenezer Prout. And he was familiar to me because he wrote a clarinet sonata, um, which, you know, some might find a bit stuffy, but academic. Um, and in a way, it kind of is the outer movements are. But the middle movement is actually quite, lo quite lovely, actually. Uh, that piqued my interest. I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, because there's no record of him ever writing a concerto. So I, I thought, well, actually, um, let's leave the Stanford. Let's go after that and see, see if we can get it, get it, get a copy of, of the score out of the archive. And um, so eventually I did. I jumped through the hoops with the, um, with the government and the intellectual property office. I proved that it was, it was, there was no copyright. It was an awesome work. Um, and that got the ball rolling. So I thought, well, what else is out there? you know, and lo and behold, it was quite a lot. That's amazing. So it sounds like it's sort of quite a, quite a process. And so tell me about some of the other pieces then that which you were led to on the CD. I, I did eventually get the Prout out of the Royal Academy and um, through that process and a little bit of kind of detective work, I managed to tra trace his archive in, I, over to Ireland in Dublin. So then, um, luckily enough, I was teaching a, a student from Goldsmith University at the time who gave me some uh, login details for some of the academic sites. And so I went on to um, a site called JSTOR, and they hold all the um, Musical and Times Circular, which was a big magazine from probably the mid-19th century through... Uh, through probably through to about the 60s or the 70s it might actually might have gone through to the 80s i can't remember exactly but um just with a simple you know search of you know clarinet as a as a keyword clarinet concertos all that sort of stuff came up with all these rather interesting um 
uh, articles uh, of performances um, of, of pieces that have been written. And the one that sort of really piqued my interest was um, the article, if I remember rightly, listed a uh, an upcoming performance of a new clarinet concerto by a woman composer, but it didn't state the composer. So there was a little bit more digging to be done. Um, but um, the long and short of it is that, that composer was Susan Spaindunk, who's the first track on the CD. Once I knew who the composer was and what the piece was, I um, then set about trying to obviously track down the music. Um, it was published in her lifetime, or rather a publishing house had it, uh, or they probably had manuscript copies of the parts and everything, um, handwritten parts. Um, but when I inquired for it, they came back to me and said that they they didn't have any originals. So when, well, I don't know if I just drop any names, but um, uh, it was music sales. And of course, when music sales they took in a lot of big um, publishing houses under one big umbrella, you know, like Novello, Chester Music, um, all these, um, you know, reputable companies. Um, and this piece was initially published by uh, Alkin, which went to Novello, which then ended up at Music Sales. They had listed the work, um, so I asked for approval score. They said they didn't have it, so more searching ensued. And I was very, very um, lucky enough to come across a website um, which uh, talks about unsung composers. Um, and I think at the time, it, the topic changes, but anyway, at the time it was kind of romantic, post-romantic composers. And Susan falls into that uh, category. And somebody had posted her complete works. So I just thought, you know, I'll drop this, this person a line that posted this complete works list. Um, and he hadn't had much luck, but he gave me the email address and contact details for the grandson of the composer. And, and that was that. We got in touch and uh, developed a rapport. And um, yeah, he had, he had the manuscript there. And so I created an edition, which is what we recorded with. So the CD is called Rediscovered. All of these pieces, had most of them been then previously played before and then kind of shelved for a while and, and kind of forgotten? Or have some of them sort of stayed in the repertoire but just not been in the, the limelight? The Spain Dunk was performed in her lifetime. So it was, uh, it was performed in 30, uh, late 1931 at the Queen's Hall in London. Uh, with a, uh, the soloist was a student of Charles Draper called uh, Herbert New who went on to have a very good uh, orchestral career, actually. He was in the London Philharmonic for a time and the BBC, I think. Um, and it was also broadcast in 1932 as well with Frederick Thurston as the soloist with the BBC Orchestra, which is now the BBC Symphony Orchestra. And, um, yeah, I think that had actually, did actually receive a couple more broadcasts after the war, but um, Dave Gibson, the grandson of, of Susan, he, he, he told me that his father who was um, on military exercise in Malaya at the time after the Second World War, um, he heard it on the World Service, on the BBC World Service broadcast. So that probably was early 1950s, I think it was. And that was the last time um, it was ever seen or heard of um, until, until now. Um, the other works, the, the McConkie is connected to Thurston. He premiered that. And of course, Thurston was married to Thea King, and Thea King actually did record that work, the concertino, um, and she was instrumental in getting it published. Um, so we've got, you know, we can really thank her for that. Um, and the other two works, the Dolmetsch never saw the light of day because he sadly 
uh, was um, he, he died on the SS Ceramic, which was uh, bombed in the Atlantic during the Second World War. His widow, Millicent, had a, an absolute nightmare trying to get anybody interested in playing playing her deceased husband's music after the war, even with backing of um, some, you know, the Master of the Queen's music, Arthur Blitz, uh, her, no less. You know, she couldn't she couldn't get anyone interested in playing it. So that record, this is an absolute primary recording of the Dolmetsch. And when we did record it, we recorded it 80 years and a few days after the final note was penned. Um, and we were the first people to ever, ever hear it, which was quite, quite special. I guess even the composer, because back in those days, you couldn't just listen to it back in Dorico or whatever you're writing in. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So the composer must have had, Dolmetsch must have had a, a performance in mind because he went to the trouble to actually do a version, a rehearsal version for the two solo instruments, the clarinet and the harp and two pianos. Um, and it on the score, it's very categorical for rehearsal only in capitals and underlined several times. So maybe maybe he there were things in the pipeline, you know, hence why he wrote it. And uh, um, obviously, we'll never know. Yeah, that's that's kind of a sad story, really. Um, and uh, the Wish Heart, uh, composed in forty seven, um, it uh, was forgotten about. It was one of those works that because he was in his twenties probably mid to late 20s when he wrote it yeah he just forgot about it and it turned up a few years after his death when when all his papers were being sorted out and it was found so is it, this is another one then that even the composer and had never really been premiered before that's right yeah never ne- never been played never been played i was very lucky enough um to play it at the uh, 2018 clarinet fest in belgium and that was the world premiere that's fantastic. So lucky for those who are in the audience. And, uh, you know, I have to say that you're really a master of programming CDs and you take such artful consideration, which I, I really appreciate. And it makes me miss the genre of CDs. Like I, we were talking before we went on air, like I quite enjoyed listening to this on my retro 90s CD player <laughs> that I have. You know, it's just, there's, there used to be something about just like this concept of an album altogether that I, I really appreciated. But could you walk me through like how you go about planning the the album as a whole well um the track listing really was i I kind of had the idea that um i'd like it chronological so it the spain don't would start first and then it would be dolmetsch then it would be mcconkey and then uh wish harp you know the label and and um you know just chatting you know with the conductor and the producers and and they thought well actually you know spain don't for sure um, and then the McConkey, really strong piece. So that was probably going to go next. And the way the Wish Heart finishes was a good finisher to the disc. So then, you know, just obviously then the, the Dolmetsch ended up where it ended up. In terms of the actual kind of programming of the album, as it were, I mean, you know, my idea was really, obviously I wanted to give voice to these, what I feel, unjustly forgotten composers. But I also wanted to kind of link it into sort of what was happening musically in England at the time or Great Britain rather um, and this kind of you know how the Second World War had a huge impact of course not only in this country but in Europe and in other parts of the world of course um, and we I, I you know you could see the sort of the musical differences between the four pieces you know so you've got the Dolmetsch and you've got the Spain dunk that are pre-Second World War that are um well, Spain Dunk's post-romantic and the Dolmetsch is sort of neo-Baroque and, of course, you know, with his whole uh, family history. Um, 
And then you've got the McConkie and the Wishart, which are more sort of forward looking. I mean, we've always been a little bit conservative in this country, I think, um, and a bit behind uh, Europe, you know, with the likes of obviously the Viennese schools and that, you know, that was all that was all, all a big thing. Those two definitely were were a bit more forward forward thinking um, compositionally, I think. Um, so that was the idea. I wanted to sort of show the, the sort of musical styles, the change of musical styles. Because there was a big push after the Second World War here um, to go in a more modernist um, route, uh, and serialism and, and avant-garde, you know, became became the flavour of the day. So that that was that. And then, of course, you know, with the works and delving a little bit more, there was then the connection between Frederick Thurston and Reg Kell, probably the biggest clarinet players at the time. Well, this is also fascinating, and you know, it it makes me think too. Like uh, a minute ago, I was thinking, well, you know, this piece was written in 1930 or or so that's not really that long ago. But then I realized in my head, like it's maybe I'm starting to show my age, but it always feels like it's 1990 something still, you know? So when I'm calculating my dates in my head, I'm usually just subtracting from 1990s. <laughs> so, but the thirties is now 90 years ago. That's a long time. So, and a lot of this music, you know, it was more contemporary than I was expecting for, you know, rediscovered music, but we forget. And even I was talking to someone a while ago about this, but even music, which was considered so revolutionary and so-called modern in its, in its, uh, you know, compositional style, like take Debussy, for example, that's well over a hundred years ago now, <laughs> some of those pieces, you know, that is just a really strange sort of realization I just had. But um, I guess kind of leading from that, it feels like what you did as far as premiering two pieces, which were essentially buried for 70 years and had never even seen the light of day before that it feels like that's a lot of responsibility what did that sort of seem like from an artistic perspective and were there moments of like oh i'm not sure what the composer would have wanted here like it's not like a lot of modern people um, alive today who are working with the composer they get that dialogue and this is maybe a rare instance where with a premiere there is no dialogue yeah, there is a lot of responsibility. There is because, of course, you know, one, it's an unknown work. You, as a as an as an artist, shall we say, you do have a, a fairly heavy burden because you want to obviously present this piece that nobody knows in in its best possible light. Um, yeah, I think if you understand the language, if you understand the the musical language, and you have the confidence and the integrity to present something completely brand new, even though it's old music. I think you can, you know, pull it off. Um, and and certainly when I first played the Spain Dunk in, in 2019 in her hometown uh, with the local, you know, community orchestra there, that was the first performance in living memory. I mean, there was nobody alive that, that will have remembered or have ever attended the performance in 1931 in London, you know. I think also it's it's taking that risk as well, in a way, you know, it's it's trying to uh, think a bit more outside the box and not get stuck in performing the same repertoire. And of course, you know, the sort of traditional repertoire, the inverted commas sort of thing is fantastic. But there's other fantastic repertoire that just doesn't get the light of day, partly because promoters are not interested because they don't know who the composer is. There may well be, I hate to say, there may well be a little bit of... Um, you know, sexism involved, especially if it's a female composer. It comes down to to money and and uh, bums on seats, really, doesn't it? You know, a promoter's not going to take the risk on on an unknown if it's not going to sell tickets. Um, but 
you know, in my experience, not only playing the works that we've recorded, well, I mean, I've only played the Wish Heart and the um, Spain Don't Live, but also with some chamber music as well. Funnily enough, it's those works that actually uh, um, um, audience members usually like the most in comparison to, say, Poulenc Sonata or Weber or whatever it might be. Well, I think contrary to what we're sort of led to believe, I think that if the public were exposed to more new music, I think they'd be more interested sometimes, you know, especially if the, the new music was more accessible as, you know, some of these pieces really were more kind of, I felt melodic and uh, very interesting. And I can see why, you know, people go to a, maybe a Steve Reich concert or something, and they're a little alarmed at first. It's maybe not up their alley, but but music like this is is still very enjoyable to listen to. I think that people who are are in the audience would appreciate appreciate that, you know. Um, and the other thing too, you know, I was just thinking about is uh, this whole notion that I was bringing up about reimagining these pieces that were never even played. I mean, in a way, this is kind of, I guess, what all music pre-recording, what's the challenge we all face today in a way, especially with, you know, Baroque and pre-Baroque kind of music where we don't even have the instruments anymore, let alone the, the tuning scales and all the other elements. So it's kind of the job of the musician, I guess, is to interpret that and bring the notes to life, you know? Of course. Yeah, it is. And, and yeah, that is that is our job at the end of the day, isn't it? It is. It's just to present the ideas on the page, you know, and you present a bit of the composer and you present a bit of your own artistic self. That's such an interesting point. How, how do you find that balance? Is there a balance? I don't know. Um, this is a very difficult question. Uh, you know, I kind of hate to get too philosophical about it. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got the extremes, like someone like Glenn Gould, who put like 90% personality and even was dismissive of the composers at time. And then there's other people, I think, who are very much more true to what's on the paper and try to avoid their own stylistic interpretation, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, purism is, is, is good in certain aspects, especially within the early music movement. But that should never compromise one's own artistic integrity. Yeah, I mean, coming back to the original question of trying to find the balance, I mean, I, I think that's just, that has to be within each individual, really, in many ways. And of course, you know, people will obviously veer one way or the other. Um, so I don't think there's an absolute sort of equilibrium, really. I think, like, like I said before, if you, if you understand... If you understand the, the harmonic language and you understand the sort of the shapes of um, the shapes that the composer is going for and that sort of thing, yeah, I mean, I think you can, you know, present something um, really well, you know, without without losing any sort of purism, if you like, uh, and also you can bring yourself as as the artist into the performance. So tell me a bit about this project and its uh, relation in timing to the whole COVID situation we currently find ourselves in? Because I noticed this was recorded end of November 2019. Was it delayed? Um, how has the CD launch been affected? Uh, is it, It's a different world than you imagined this being launched in, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the actual uh, sessions, that was all fine. There, were, there was no... There was no issues. There were slight. There were there were little murmurings that something was happening in China, and I remember I remember um, one of the London orchestras. I forget which one had been out to China and and, and done a, a, a tour for a couple of weeks and come back. You know, and a few people did get sick actually out there. Whether whether it was with COVID or not, we don't know. But um, there was no sense of anything ever coming here. You know, at that time. So, yeah, we recorded um, in late November, um, in pretty much the, the last few days of November. 
Um, and yeah, like I say, there was no no worries at all about all that. So with the label, they had a they have a scheduling. So it could well, if COVID hadn't happened, it could well still have been released now because you know of their you know of their um, scheduling lists. But uh, yeah, um, in terms of the actual launch, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's been a benefit for it being predominantly online. I don't know. Well, surely the reach has been wider in a way because. I don't know what you've found as far as the audience, but I mean, it potentially could have been a more locally kind of released audience. But I, I find when these things are done online, suddenly it's opened up to everyone and it's surprising who shows up. I mean, even my CD release back in 2016, I decided to live stream it back then, which was quite a bit more difficult five years ago than it is today. And there was the fair share of tech glitches. <laughs> but I was surprised to have people tuning in from like Alaska and someone from New Zealand. And it was kind of bizarre. And I was like, there's no way that they would have flown to see me um, halfway around the world. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that well known, but uh, it was just so interesting that they could tune in, you know? So it maybe, it, maybe it's an interesting kind of way to, to spread the, the concerts and experiences now. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, I've been very lucky um, that because it obviously was part um, done in, in association with the BBC anyway, um, and with the BBC orchestra, you know, it's received a bit of airplay as well already. I mean, it was uh, the the Spain dunk was um, played on um, on one of the main breakfast show on International Women's Day, just the weekend just gone. Um, I was uh, it was some some of it was played on uh, Intune program on on launch day, and then it was in record review the next morning on on Radio Three. BBC Radio 3. So, um, and, and, you know, a few online um, articles and that kind of thing are coming out. And so, yeah, like you say, it's, it's crazy how, how far reaching it is, um, these sorts of things are. I mean, looking at my Spotify numbers, it's actually bonkers. I mean, I, I've hardly used Spotify, I have to say, until, until this release. And, and now it's, uh, I mean, it's in double, double figures, you know, in terms of, uh, with a K, shall we say? Oh wow, that's great! <laughs> I'm very surprised. I mean, you know, like like I said, Spotify is a new thing to me. It's one of those kind of like you just treat it as another sort of social media platform, but actually, it's quite important. And of course, nowadays, it, it is. A, I would probably say it's probably a first port of call for many um, when it comes to listening, uh, listening to whatever genre. Yeah, I was so resistant because I find that, um, like I said, I really do just prefer, you know, physical CDs or like I love the iPod era where you, I basically thought of the iPod as like a, a big CD shuffler with all my CDs on it. But now it's really changed and, and listening on your phone nowadays is more about all the streaming and stuff. And, and I found it difficult to adapt. I don't know about other people, but um, it is true that for most people, when they listen to music now, it's Spotify. It might be Apple Music for some, might be whatever else, but it's definitely some streaming platform. And uh, so it's, it's great to hear you're, you're gaining tra- traction on the internet. I bet these composers never could have even imagined that their piece would be premiered, let alone immediately available all over the world within minutes of release. You know, talking to Susan's grandson, they, you know, I mean, he is absolutely blown away. The family are, you know, they just think it's absolutely amazing. Um, the, the grand, you know, old granny's music's getting played, <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's great, and you know, I'm very grateful, very grateful for the support that I've had as well in making this. You know, from uh, uh, well, I mean, Baku supported me uh, very generously, and and um, Silverstein, and you know, various uh, trust funds here in the UK as well, including Abash Charitable Trust, which um, does actually focus entirely on on uh, female composers and predominantly historical 
female composers. Yeah, and other things, you know. So, you know, I couldn't have done it without them, really, as well. So it's important. And I think, you know, people need to really, really help help with these sort of things because it's because it's all part of our own you know right so it's all part of our culture isn't it you know irrespective of what country we're in you know i'm sure how many how many canadian composers are there that have lain undiscovered oh many yeah i mean i even some of my professors quite well known in canada for their their work but they would be unknown anywhere else we even have like rock bands and stuff up here which are you know lo- locally famous but unlike the uk <laughs> where the rock bands are everywhere Canadian ones tend to stay kind of local. So it's, it's probably, uh, yeah, it's totally a worthwhile project. And it makes me think about the music here that's been kind of missed out on. So I also want to talk a little bit about how COVID has impacted Peter's life. But before we do that, I just want to invite you to head on over to Spotify and check out this album. It's called Rediscovered. And uh, you can search Peter Siglaris clarinet. So that's C-I-G-L-E-R-I-S. Also, I think that one of the best ways to support musicians, though, is still to actually purchase the physical CD. Correct me if I'm... (laughs) Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. So if you really want to show your support, that's the way to do it. Um, But if you don't have a CD player anymore, um, you can check it out on Spotify. And I always say jokingly, but half seriously, just leave it streaming overnight. You know, when you leave the house. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. They say music is good for plants, right? So uh, (laughs) thank you for your efforts on this, Peter. It's great to have some new music. And I hope that the clarinet world will... uh, discover your rediscoveries. Thanks very much. So let's talk a little bit just briefly about, um, it's funny because at the beginning of the year last year, um, actually about a year ago exactly right now, I started approaching the podcast from a post-pandemic world and my decision was to kind of just avoid talking about it like the elephant in the room for a while because I was like, I don't want to succumb to you know negativity or I know people want to get away from this when they listen to the podcast, not you know just dwell on it, but I've come to the realization that it's gone on so long, we have to talk about it. <laughs> so, because people are interested. And I, I think people are interested in the experiences of others around the world and so, um, and how they're facing it and how they're hoping to move forward. So, if we could just chat about kind of how this changed life for you and where you see things going, I think it would be valuable to the audience. Live performance won't die, that's for sure. You know, people need it, they need, they need that experience. Um, so, it may be slow going as you know regulations are looked at and you know as the virus subsides and and these kind of things you know obviously it's going to take going to take time um so it's best to sort of try and stay on the on the positive side of things you know and um and just know that there will there is light at the end of the tunnel but i mean having said that you know it's i mean for me personally you know because it's been about a year since we went into our first lockdown. When that was announced, I was um, I was actually in the middle of um, rehearsals for for a brand new opera, and we actually did a video of it. They they decided um, to just just get a they got a camera crew in, and um, so instead of um, one of the rehearsal days, just became literally we'll run it. Everyone was all you know suited and booted in their costumes. Um, and yeah, that, that was that. And then, then it was the constant emails of, sorry, we're going to have to cancel. We're going to have to cancel. Pound signs were just sort of disappearing. Many, all, pretty much all of my colleagues, you know, suffered the same fate. Um, and that was very, very disheartening, I have to say, you know. And yeah, it, it, it did take a little bit of a toll, you know, from a mental perspective. You know, you kind of wonder... You know, when when all that's happening and you're getting these constant messages 
oh, sorry, we're, we're having to cancel, we're having to cancel, and, you know, all these things that you're looking forward to. Um, and, you know, you're stuck, in, <laughs> you're stuck in a flat on your own. Because, um, you know, I, I was uh, separated, going through divorce. So, you know, that obviously made things a bit harder uh, as well. But I, I mean, I kept myself busy. I just decided to sort of go back to basics. Um, and I annoyed my neighbours with long tones and scales. And, you know, I, I suppose, you know, I jumped on the bandwagon as well. The people were doing those sort of multi-track videos and that. I mean, you know, I, I didn't have any any of the sort of fancy equipment and that sort of thing. So it was just iPad, um, you know, one of the plug-in iPad mics or, you know, iPhone mics and, and you know, just do it rough and ready um, in my dead front room. Um, it was it, yeah, it was hard. It, it took it took a while to kind of realize that actually, you know, things will get better. I mean, I don't know for other countries, and uh, I was sort of following what was going on, um, you know, as as these kind of waves went round the world. Um, but we had a we did have a period of time, uh, sort of uh, when was it? Sort of last it was sort of August to sort of November ish, where things were happening. Um, and so there were a few performances and I did manage to do some recording as well, which I was very grateful for. And, you know, uh, I should also say I was very, very grateful that all my uh, students, pretty much all my students went online. So, you know, in terms of the lost income through performances, you know, I still had something through teaching, which, which um, uh, you know, eternally grateful for. I think I just came to the realisation that, uh, well, you know, there's no point moping around about it. There's nothing I can do about it. And just try and just get on with it. Ride the wave and we'll come out the other end, really. I mean, how, how were your experiences? Yeah, you know, similar. I think that many people also kind of went through a period of kind of uh, like almost grief for what we'd lost. You know, like the world changed so much instantaneously and it hasn't really come back. And, and I've also kind of just at this point settled into hoping for the best but try not to let it get me down. I mean, my big thing is I just can't watch news. I just, or even social media, I deleted Facebook, essentially. I just can't do it. It just was too much external bombardment. And the truth of the matter is it doesn't really affect your life all that much. So I will hear bits and pieces from people about stuff that's going on eventually. But I mean, my life where I live, working from home, going for my walk every couple of days, like there's not much else going on. So it uh, just doesn't really, although, of course, it affects me because that's why I'm in that predicament. <laughs> um, but like from day to day, it's just better for me not to know I find. And, and I found it was good for me to try and redirect my energy into some new hobbies. I'm, uh, you know, even just taking up some new, I was making bread for a while, <laughs> something to do and, and learning to cook better. And uh, obviously eating mostly at home because there was nothing nowhere to go or nothing to get in that regard for a while. I took up some some different things though, like some the Wim Hof breathing method and some of these. I started journaling, and some other people were saying similar stuff. Are, are you doing anything like that, just to focus kind of inwards instead of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I sort of did meditate, um, and yeah, the Wim Hof method. Uh, I looked into that, and um, some of his uh, uh, videos on YouTube are quite entertaining. He is an entertaining guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a ca- absolute character, isn't he? Very sad story though. Like his had like five kids and his wife died. Yeah, the whole sort of background to, to, to how he sort of developed this method was was quite interesting and his kind of theories behind it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I did, I, there, there was there was quite a bit of introspection. Yeah, um, mainly through through meditation, um, a little bit of uh, 
well yoga i suppose in a way some some very basic yoga positions um just mainly to kind of uh, in a sort of chiropractic way to help crack various parts of my back you know and i was suffering at the title like last year of um, low back low low back issues but i started learning spanish just just you know just to um keep the brain active and you know uh i did learn some languages at school but i just thought why not language is always a a good thing a, a friend and colleague of mine um, learned russian so i thought well you know if they if they can learn learn a language really quickly why not i'll give it a go reading uh movies you know um retro gaming original xbox <laughs> that kind of thing so yeah i mean and yeah just like the usual sort of boring sort of chores of uh you know heading down to the supermarket and yeah, I, I got on my bike a bit more, you know, because we were allowed an hour a week, uh, an hour a day or so for exercise. And so one day um, in the in the first lockdown, the I live on a very, very busy main road. Uh, it's like part of the called the South Circular, which is a, like a mini orbital in London. Um, and so I cycled from outside my flat until uh, Parliament Square and the road was empty and it only took, you know, it's a, it's a journey that would probably take uh i don't know probably maybe like nearly an hour 50 minutes or so um took took 25 minutes <laughs> and it was be- it's a beautiful stretch and i remember it's a nice sunny day and it's um and i followed the river because i'm i'm not cl- um i'm not too far from the river here apparently so um pretty much followed the, w- the river a- along that stretch as as far as i could obviously went off when i had to but um yeah you know going through battersea uh, through chelsea um into westminster um and yeah that's a nice nice way to see see uh see london in in, in many ways absolutely well, i hope one day to go there after this is all yeah come be more than welcome absolutely well thank you so much for coming on the show again i'm so happy that you could be here today uh or just a reminder to listeners do check out his cd release uh rediscovered peter Siglaris on spotify or you can buy the CD online. Peter, we're going to do the lightning round, which I don't think was a thing when you first came on the show some years ago. So we're going to do that now. But uh, this is just for the Patreon supporters of the show. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon Podcasts now, Google Podcasts, any of the other platforms, the show will end here. But if you're supporting the show from $1 a month behind the scenes, you can get access to the extended episode at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Sean. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If this is your first time here joining me today, I do hope that you enjoyed the show, and I invite you to subscribe for free on your favorite podcast player. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, it's available everywhere you get your podcasts. You can also leave a review telling me what your favorite moment from the episode was, and if you want to, you can say hi and send me a message or a voicemail on the website at clarinet.com. I love hearing from clarinetists all over the world, and I do reply as best I can to every message that's sent in. It just might take me a couple days because I get quite a volume of emails, as I'm sure you can imagine. I'd like to say a huge thank you to all 73 of our Patreon backers and our season sponsors, Bakun Musical Services and Legere Reads, for making the show possible. If you haven't checked out the Bakun website this month, this is during the month of May 2021, you sure are missing out. They're having a big spring sale in there with unheard of prices on demo and pre-owned products, ranging from barrels, bells, mouthpieces, all the way up to their custom clarinets that are available at a really, really great discount price. Um, The best part is, as a clarinet listener, you can actually get an extra 10% off these already reduced prices. 
All you have to do is enter code CLAIRNEAT at checkout at bakunmusical.com. It's worth noting that this coupon is also valid on all new products all the time, so even if you do miss the sale, you can still get yourself a great deal. Just enter code CLAIRNEAT at checkout at bakunmusical.com. I don't know why I got so choppy there for a second. That was kind of a, it was a bit theatrical. <laughs> um, also, Legere Reads, you know, they're coming on the podcast soon to discuss their new uh, European cut read and also the, the case that comes with it. Um, but I saw an interesting post on Instagram and I, I realized that some people may not be aware of this, but did you know that as a clarinet player, you can actually try experimenting with the alto saxophone read, or sorry, the soprano saxophone reads on your clarinet as well. And uh, alto clarinet, you can try uh, alto saxophone and uh, uh, bass clarinet, you can try tenor saxophone. So why would you want to do this? Well, some players actually like the the experience of a bit wider read that's also a bit shorter. It gives a bit of a different playing feel. So you might want to test that out. It's something uh, interesting that I saw people commenting on, on, like I said, on Instagram. And uh, it's just something that people do. Uh, interestingly enough, the European cut read was actually designed with the soprano sax read in mind for this very reason. And that's something we'll talk about on the upcoming episode with Sean King from Legere Reads. So check out Legere's products at legere.com or wherever you buy your reads at your local music store. That's www.legere.com. Thanks so much again for listening today. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Be sure to keep it tuned in to Clarinet because we've got some really great content coming up, including a conversation with the New Orleans clarinetist, Doreen Ketchens, who's been on my sort of bucket list for the podcast as a, as a guest I'd like to have on for a really long time. And she's actually been one of the most requested guests ever. So keep your ears peeled for that in the upcoming weeks. And thank you again for listening to the show.